How do we build our dreams when we don't know what we want? Learn how Flaunt solves this problem in five bold and glittery steps with radio host Laura Cheadle. Using a combination of best girlfriend discussions and therapy-based exercises, listeners are taught how to build their dreams and live their sparkle. Flaunt. Find your fetish. Laugh out loud. Accept unconditionally. Navigate the negative and trust in your truth. Hello, welcome to Flaunt, Build Your Dreams and Live Your Sparkle. I'm Laura Cheadle, and today we are going to talk about disaster recovery. And oh my gosh, there is a huge reason, a really, really huge reason we are talking about disaster recovery. The reason we're talking about disaster recovery today is because for the last, oh, I don't know, week, maybe even less than that. Yeah, yeah, for about the last four days. Oh my gosh, everything has broken loose in my life with one disaster after another. And as all of these things are happening to me, I keep thinking, huh, (laughs) things like this happen to other people too. And oh my goodness, it's such a good thing that I know some of these little tips and some of these little tricks and some of these little modalities and things like that to use to help make things better even when absolutely everything is falling apart around your ears. So hopefully you are not experiencing a crisis right now, but if you are, this is the show for you. And If you're not experiencing a crisis right now, yay, I'm so happy. But at some point in your life, when you do experience a crisis, at least you will have some, you know, sort of tool or trick or thought or idea that you can use to make you feel better and to help get you through your disaster with as little mental damage as possible. So let's start by telling the story of what's gone on (laughs) with me over the last few days. And you know what? Actually, I'm going to back it up to about the last month because, you know, that way I can incorporate several more disasters. And that way I can just kind of set, set the whole stage for you and you can understand what is truly going on in my world. And then um, I'll share with you some of the things that I personally have been using to keep my sanity. Because trust me, I don't have a lot of sanity right now. (laughs) Well, I, I I have some, but I don't have it all. Okay, about a month ago, we were getting ready for the holidays. And when we get ready for the holidays, you know, it's different every year. But this year we had my father-in-law coming into town and we had a few groups of friends that were planning on coming down and having Christmas Day dinner with us. And we had my son home from college and we have all these people that, you know, we want to come over and entertain and see. So one of the things that we like to do is get the house in shape. Now, it's not that we are simply getting the house in shape for company, but every year around Christmas, it's kind of like a spring cleaning. 
It's kind of an excuse that we can use. It's kind of a reason that we can actually sit down and do some of the things that we have been meaning to do. Because otherwise, things tend to get put off. You know, I'll do that later. Oh, we need, sure, we need to pull out that little magic eraser and clean the woodwork, but I'll do that later. Oh, the carpets are looking really nasty, but that's okay. We'll do that later. So sometimes it's nice to have an event, whether it's a graduation party or a nice dinner or a wedding anniversary or birthday or whatever. It's nice to have that event that can kind of kickstart your motivation and encourage you to do things that you have been wanting to do. So every year, having a Christmas dinner is kind of our excuse. Also, because we move the couch out to put in the Christmas tree, we have already moved the furniture, so it's a really good time to, you know, vacuum behind things, do the woodwork, all of that deep cleaning type of stuff. So it really serves a lot of purposes. We're cleaning up things that we've been meaning to clean up, we're getting things organized, and we're creating this wonderful, hopefully wonderful environment where people can come over and they can do things for us. Anyway, the long and the short of it is we're in the process of doing everything. We have furniture pulled out. We have boxes. You know how it is. I'm sure you know how it is. And I run in and I sit down at the desk because I need to check some things out online. And as I'm sitting there, I hear drip, drip, drip. And I think, well, that's really strange. I wonder why I'm hearing drip, drip, drip. And the next thing I notice is there's this drip coming from the ceiling. So even though I'm terrified to look up, I look up. And there's not only one bulge in our ceiling, there are two bulges in our ceiling. And I think, oh my gosh, we're on the main level. What's above me? Well, what's above me is the bathtub. And... Nobody's had a bath for a few days, so I'm not quite sure what's going on. Call a plumber. Long and the short of that story is the handles literally had just gotten jiggled. It's on one of those cloth foot tubs. So you've got the plumbing that turns the water on and off to pour it into the tub. But then you have the main lines that come up from the floor. And it's the main lines that come up from the floor. One of those little water faucets had been jiggled loose. And who knows, you know, when I mop, when I clean under there, maybe I could have even hit it and that caused the leak. Let everything dry out. I live in Colorado. It's a a nice dry climate, which is good. Talked to the guy that we had come over and he said they can get the ceiling fixed for us. And we decide that's actually going to be kind of a lot of money because it's an old popcorn ceiling. So by the time it gets scraped and then repainted and we have to move all of the stuff out and we're preparing for Christmas, yada, yada. So we decide to just put that on the back burner. We think, who really cares that there's yellow bulgy spots in the ceiling? We can take care of that later. It's just a matter of priorities. So we let that go. We forget about it. Um, I have this niggling little feeling inside that, hmm, I should look at what this means. I should kind of look into some of the meanings as to what this means in my life because that's me. I'm a life choreographer. I'm metaphysical. I'm always looking for deeper meanings in things. 
but I'm busy. So I decided to just kind of not even think about it and just chalk it up to something that happened and move on. We have Christmas. We have dinner. Everything's beautiful, except for the ceiling. Everything is going well. We say, let's all go outside and jump in the hot tub because that's what we do on Christmas. It's, it's our family tradition. My son's home from college. Let's go hang out together and drink our coffee in the hot tub. Well, guess what? The hot tub is cold. It is not a hot tub. It is a cold tub. It's flashing this little error code. So we all pile back inside. We look up the air code. We figure out it's some sort of a pump. It gives you all these little tests to do to figure out, you know, if you can fix it yourself. We cannot indeed fix it ourselves. So we have to call somebody. Of course, it's Christmas. They can't get there for a week or so. That's fine. Our only concern is the pipes freezing because the heater is broken in the hot tub and it's filled with water and it's below zero. So how do we manage that? Okay, we figure it out. We move on. We just can't use the hot tub with our whole family, which is kind of the point. But that's okay. It's just another potential water disaster that we have to monitor daily because we don't want the pipes to freeze. We move on. We have New Year's. My kids, like I said, are home from college. They ask if they can have friends over on New Year's Eve. Of course they can have friends over on New Year's Eve. I would so much rather they all be home on New Year's Eve than out on the road, but I already have plans to be away on New Year's Eve. So I talk to them and I say, you know what, guys? I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be gone for like four hours on New Year's Eve. I trust you, but I know situations get out of control. I know even with the best group of people, with the best intentions ever, things get out of control. Ask me why I know. I know because I have had experience in life. And I've been in situations that have gotten out of control. Truly, through no fault of my own, or through no fault of anybody else, it's just that the situations kind of start rolling and things happen, and before you know it, there's a disaster. So I said, you guys, here's my parameters, here's my rules. I call a couple of neighbors and I say, this is what's going on. They're in college, they're responsible, but please check in on things. Please let me know if there's a problem. Please be, you know, let them know they can come to you in case there's a problem and they need help. We're just all going to kind of build this up so we can all have our needs met and they can have people over. That actually went pretty fine. I came home. Sure enough, way more people than anticipated had shown up, which is one of those situations that happens that I was trying to tell them. You invite 10 friends. Each of those 10 friends invites two friends. Pretty soon you have a party of 300 and you didn't mean for that to happen. Sure enough, there were way more people that came. The Some things got spilled. It wasn't disastrous at all. They cleaned everything up. It was fine. It was really, really good. But because we had had all of these people over, because we had this huge Christmas dinner, because I like to live in a clean house, I thought, let's go ahead and have the carpets professionally cleaned. That's something that you need to do 
every now and then anyway. And even though things got cleaned up, something still might be sticky or muddy or whatever. So I hired the carpets professionally cleaned. Now, right after Christmas, right after New Year's, right after all of that, yes, I don't really need that expense. Yes, I have a ceiling to fix. Yes, I'm paying off two kids in college. Yes, I'm doing all this. But hey, let's have these carpets cleaned. So I get the carpets professionally cleaned, and they look beautiful. And the next day, I go downstairs to check out the carpets, and I step in this puddle of water. And my son says, I just stepped in that puddle of water too. I wonder if the house is like at an angle and all the water from the carpet cleaning rolled over here. And I said, maybe, but I would think if our house were at that strong of an angle, we would know that and this is a lot of water. So we start looking around. There is this valve where the water comes into our house from our sprinkler system. Yes, the sprinkler system has been drained, but this is the valve where the water enters the house. And guess what? That valve was broken. That valve had worn out, which I guess apparently happens. Our house is 30-some years old. Things wear out. It wore out. Water had been pouring in for, what, 24 hours, perhaps? I don't know. Anyway, right under where that valve is, we've got a dresser. Quite interesting because all of the dresser drawers filled up with water. So as we're taking out the dresser drawers filled with water and dumping them, we're sucking things up with a shop vac, we're having a hard time getting the water to stop dripping completely because the valve is broken. It was never fortunately at a full flush, but it was like a constant trickle. In these drawers, I had all the VHS tapes of the home movies from when my kiddos were little, of me in high school, of my husband's college football games. Are we going to die without the videos? No, we're not going to die without the videos, but it's pretty sad. In another drawer, I had a whole bunch of the special clothes from when my kids were little, you know, the t-shirts from the teams, all of that stuff. Those were all soaking wet. Fortunately, I can just wash those and stick them in the dryer and it's okay. But this bedroom set is completely ruined because all the drawers were filled up with water and it's wood. So this is a Saturday when we discover this. Again, freezing temperatures outside. We have to call an emergency plumber because if we can't get this valve to shut off and the water starts filling up the sprinkler system pipes and it freezes, our sprinkler system's broken. It could also freeze the pipes coming into our house because this is downstairs and not all of these are insulated. So we call an emergency plumber. He comes out. He replaces the valve. All is good. I am so excited. We start drying things out. We have to rip the carpet up. This time I think, you know what? This is our third water disaster in a matter of two weeks. I think I need to look into this. What is this teaching me? And I start pondering that. I think it means I need to flush things out. I think it means means I need to clean out. I think it leaked on some of these things that have old stagnant energy to them, old videos, old shirts, things like that. I think it means I need to refresh. I'm a dancer. It also leaked on a lot of my costumes and props, totally ruining those. 
But you know what? I have thought about redoing my costumes. I've thought about building better props. So I'm thinking maybe this is what it means. But you know what? I don't even get the chance to ponder more deeply on that because suddenly I start getting a flurry of panicked messages and texts. We own a rental property. This rental property is three hours away and the sewer backed up into the house. We are talking worst case scenario. We are talking sewage lines all the way out into whatever, into the street, somehow are backing up into the house. We get the emergency plumber, because we're three hours away, who goes out and attempts to scope the lines, and there are such serious blocks he can't even get through. He finds out, I guess they have these um, equipment things where they can locate the lines underground. Our underground lines, where they think the block is, is under the garage. This is an older house. This house is over 100 years old. Okay, you can break up the floor, whatever. We'll tunnel through that. Well, guess what? They can't get through the floor unless they take off the roof of the garage. This is a 100-year-old garage. If you take off the roof, the walls are not structurally sound. We have to demo an entire two-car garage to get to the floor, to get to the pipes, to get to the clog. But guess what? You can't just go in and demo a garage on a Sunday. Oh, no. You need a demolition permit from the city. You need a sewage permit from the city. You need, you need, you need, you need. And all of these things take time. 10 to 14 days, in fact, before we can even begin. Which means our renters can't be in there for 10 to 14 days. Oh, guess what? This isn't covered by insurance. Huh, guess what else? We really feel responsible for putting the renters up and paying for their place to stay while they can't be in this house. Guess what else? <laughs> we can't really be charging rent and getting income off of a property that people can't use. So do you see the dollar signs just floating by? Do you see the dollar signs hemorrhaging and flowing away into the sewage water? Because I do. Now, let, let me just refresh. The day before, we paid for an emergency plumber here. <laughs> then that day, we paid for an emergency plumber there. Okay, so we deal with this. It's going to be okay, right? Tossed in there, we have a spring break on the garage door. We have a major car repair and we have a washing machine that breaks requiring new hoses and we have a dishwasher that goes out. <laughs> I am not kidding you. I am not kidding you. So that is a really long setup for disasters. A lot of disasters. Ask me if I'm happy. Ask me if I feel broke. Ask me if I'm a little nervous over how to manage all of this. Oh, there's more. There's more. My son has to go away to college. My other one is already in class. And my husband has to leave the country, not the state, the country for two weeks for work. So it is me. Oh, and I'm watching the neighbor's cat at the same time. 
So there's just a little bit of stuff happening in my life, and it makes me not too happy. Now, what's interesting about this is I still am happy. I still feel good because I'm choosing to be positive and I'm choosing to be happy. And that's what I really want to address with you guys today is how to be happy in the face of disaster, how to recover from disaster. Now, the very first thing is to realize the extent and the magnitude of your disaster. In my case, I am having things that are breaking. I am losing property. I am losing money. I am not losing people. I am not in physical pain. That to me right there takes that down a notch hugely. Now, in the middle of this, my dad also requires surgery. My son had a medical issue and is on some serious antibiotics. So there are just things that I didn't mention. (laughs) There are components of my month of disasters that do involve the physical, but nothing is deadly. Nothing is catastrophic. At this point, that pulls the level of disaster down a little bit. And for that, I am eternally grateful. My son's medical condition will be improved by antibiotics. My father's surgery is an outpatient surgery. It's not a problem. My mom got sick. She'll be fine. Everybody is going to be fine at this point. And that knocks everything down and makes it doable for me. Now, you might have a disaster that does involve death, dismemberment, horrible things like that. And even if that's the case, there are still things for which you can be grateful. And that's that first step, is recognizing the scope and extent of what's happening and finding your moments of gratitude. I am grateful that I still have a roof over my head. I am grateful that even though this is going to significantly impact my finances, I have the ability to recover. I have room on my credit cards to put some of these charges. I have people who can help me out. I have options and I am grateful for those options. So that's the first thing. Define the scope of your problem. Realize objectively what it is and be grateful for that which you do have. It's not necessarily looking and seeing all the worst things that can happen or looking around you and thinking how much worse it could be. But there is that component of there, but for the grace of God, go I. There are much more significant disasters in the world today. Whether they happen to people you know or you just see them in the news, it is so important to remain in a place of awareness and gratitude. 
And once you are aware and grateful, that right there truly does give you the strength and the courage to move forward. So that's the first thing I did. I realized what was happening and I started counting my blessings. Now the next step is kind of a little game. And this game involves realizing what you have control over and what you don't have control over. Pretty much, bottom line, we don't have control over anyone else or over anything else at all. Pretty much, we are flying through life with zero control. Natural disasters can happen. Other people do things. Situations arise. We have the economy. We can't really do anything about that. We have other nations. We can't do anything about that. Pretty much we have zero control over anything except ourselves. We have control over what it is we choose to do. We have control over what it is we choose to think. And because of those two things, we really have control over everything. And that is a pretty big paradox. And I will explain that a little bit further. I had no control over my sewage backup. I can look backwards over the chain of events that possibly led to this, and I can learn from those things. When we bought the property, perhaps we should have had a sewage inspection. Even though we didn't have a sewage inspection, perhaps we should have had the lines scoped. Perhaps we should have. Perhaps we could have. In a perfect world, I would have. We could have gotten a rider on our insurance that would cover sewage. There's a lot of different things that all fall into the category of coulda, woulda, shoulda, and they don't make any difference except in learning. We learn from our mistakes when we can look back and see what we could have done differently. But... It doesn't change the fact of where we are at today. Also, some things we can look back on and there's really truly nothing we could have done differently. For example, my bathtub link. There's really nothing different I could have done about that. Now I know to be careful when I'm mopping or cleaning of the, under there. But that's not really a realistic thing that I would have learned or that I was negligent in doing. As most of you know, I spent 10 years practicing corporate law. And one of the things that lawyers look at when assessing cases is, in a tort situation, is negligence. And negligence is exactly that. What caused the problem? Who was negligent? Where does the fault lie. 
And in the law, in a legal setting, that can be apportioned between more than one party. For example, if there is a car accident and something is happening and two people are both trying to avoid the accident and they're doing things to try to get out of the road and they create another accident or they still get in an accident, they both contributed to it. The actions of the first driver coupled with the actions of the second driver both contributed to the result. What I mean by that is, if there is a car stalled in the middle of the road and other cars don't see that and they crash into them, who is at fault? Who did something wrong? And what portion of that negligence should be attributed to each party? If there is a car stalled in the road, it's not necessarily that person's fault that their car is stalled. But do they have their hazards on? Do they have their hood raised? Do they have a flare sitting up? What are they doing to help put other people on notice that, hey, this car is stopped in the middle of the road. Notice me, notice me, notice me. If they are sitting there with no lights, no raised hood, no flares, no indication that their car is stalled, they might be contributing to the problem. They are helping other people hurt them, (laughs) so to speak. Person one is driving down the street heading west. Person two is driving down the street heading east. They're both approaching this stalled car that's stalled in the intersection. Does person one swing around the car to the right, which is the traditional way to pass? Or, like I'm thinking, you know, if the car is pulled out, or do they swing to the left in a non-traditional way to pass? Is it a roundabout? Is it a one-way street? How does this work? If person one does something that is so out of whack, if they're on a one-way street and they're passing, you know, in some weird manner, pulling over to the left, pulling over to the right, but it doesn't make sense, are they contributing to the problem or are they doing something that makes sense that other people can count on? If both people are doing something wrong, both of their actions are contributing to this accident. So then you have person three who's coming the other way. Do they, are they texting? Are they looking down and they're not noticing so they have to slam on their brakes at the last minute and they're not about, they can't see that a car is stalled in the the middle of the road and another car is passing on a non-traditional side? Who's doing what wrong and what portion of their actions is contributing to the accident? That's what contributory negligence is all about. And in life, everything that happens, for the most part, is the result of the behavior of many different people, many different situations. And it's important for us to look and see what contributed to our problem. It's not the blame game. I hate, 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 hate the blame game. This is done in a critical thinking state so we can learn. For instance, I am learning (laughs) that it's important to maintain sewers. I am learning that maybe I should look into various forms of insurance. I am looking into various things based on what happened, based on what I am learning from the situation. Part of this is my fault, 
Part of it I didn't know, so it's not really my fault. It was nobody's job to teach me. Part of it, my real estate agent, when I bought the house, should have said, I recommend a sewage inspection. I might follow up with her and say, hey, when other people are in my situation, it would behoove you to recommend this. The people who inspected my home didn't mention that. I might mention to them, hey, in the future, why don't you mention to people that it's a good idea? It's an education thing. It's spreading the education to other people. I know I'm not the only person who has had a sewer line backup. I really wish somebody would have taught me what they learned when they have this problem. So that's that second piece of it. Apportioning that negligence around. Spreading enlightenment, not blame. I am not calling people and saying, why didn't you tell me? You made a huge problem for me. I am gaining wisdom from this situation. I am sharing that wisdom with other people who can help spread this wisdom to other people. Now when I have friends who have a home that's older, I can mention what happened to us. I can mention the fact that there are sewer line inspectors out there. I can mention that there's insurance policies. I can mention things to help prevent the problem in the future. And you know what? It doesn't solve my problem now, but it makes me feel good. It's the proverbial taking lemons and making lemonade out of them. It's being proactive and breaking down all the things that happened and figuring out how I can make it better for myself, but as well, but for other people as well. And that makes me feel good. So I'm feeling grateful <laughs> for all that I have and for all of my blessings. I am being a critical thinker. I'm analyzing what happened. I'm looking at the steps and I am trying to create positive going forward, not only for myself, but for others. And just because of those two things, I feel pretty darn good. Now, I talked about what we can control and what we can't control. What we can control is our thoughts and our decisions. I just controlled my decisions. I'm going to decide to look at this situation critically. I'm going to decide to share my experience, I'm going to decide to spread love and light wherever I can based on what I've learned from this experience. But the other, and I think even more critical thing, is I choose how I think. I choose how I feel. And I choose my response to what happened. This does not feel good. It feels scary. I get constricted when I think about all of this money flowing away. <laughs> I just do. I get concerned that I'm going to make the wrong decision. I get concerned that I'm going to be handling a lot of this alone and I don't want to disappoint other people. There's a lot of things that are negative, so to speak. And there are a lot of feelings that feel negative. And I acknowledge that 
and I honor that, and then I choose to take the high road above that. This feels constrictive. This is more money than I've got. I am going to have to now manage how I deal with the debt that's coming up with this. I can manage that in several different ways. I can bitch about it and I can grab my head and I can moan and say, oh no, oh no, oh no. Or I can acknowledge this feels really constrictive. This brings up a lot of feelings of panic in me. And this means I am now going to have to start managing things differently. It means I'm going to have to start saving more and spending less and shifting around payments for things. This means a lot of different things, but I'm okay with that. I'm not saying I love it, but it is what it is. And me laying in bed, grabbing my head and bitching and moaning isn't going to fix it. Now, me saying, ha ha, what will be will be, and going out and having a great life isn't necessarily going to fix it either, but it's going to feel good. And when I feel good, I feel good. And there is no substitute for feeling good. When I'm laying in bed or sitting at my desk with my head down moaning, I feel horrible and that's not fun. And I don't want to do something that's not fun and I don't want to feel horrible. I want to feel good. So I choose to feel good. And you know what? When I feel good, I feel more empowered and I feel like the things that I'm doing are making a bigger difference. And whether or not it's making a bigger difference or not, if I feel happy about it, that's great. I just called um, the cable company and I reduced my cable package. I called the cell phone company and I asked if there was a plan that would cost me less money and would give me similar services. I made the decision on cable. I haven't made the decision on the phone, but at least I felt positive about it. I'm like, yay, I'm doing something. And my husband pointed out, Okay, Laura, you saved like a hundred bucks a year. That's not going to touch this debt. No, it's not. Because what? I did something positive and I feel happy and I feel good. And that's what I choose to move into. There is truly no substitute for feeling good and for thinking good. And also, when you are clear and bright and fresh, that is the time that more solutions start coming in. When you are sitting at your desk with your head down, solutions are not going to get in. Trust me. Yes, I have vented on Facebook. Yes, my friends have all said they're so sorry. Thank you. I feel good at that. And now I feel pretty positive and I cut my cable bill by $100. Woohoo! It doesn't matter, but I feel good about it. And more solutions are starting to come to me. I'm becoming more creative. I'm feeling less constricted because I'm empowered. I can cook more meals at home. I can make coffee at home more often. There's all these little things that I can do. Some of these we talked about last week. 
but I feel empowered doing them and they make me feel happy. And the situation isn't going to change. The situation is what it is. I can either be happy or I can be miserable. And quite frankly, I do not choose to be miserable. I will not ever choose to be miserable. I choose happiness. It doesn't change the situation, but I choose happiness. And along that same point, what can you control and what you can't control? Once the situation has happened, you can't control it anymore. Choose happiness. It's the only thing you truly can choose. I've been having a great time with my husband. We've been laughing. We've been joking about it since it's sewage backing up in the house. We're making a lot of jokes and we're having fun with it. I could. Oh, trust me. He has come home from work a couple times and I've just like wanted to start becoming the psycho person. Oh my God, you were gone all day because I had to deal with it. Now you're going to be leaving again and you're leaving me all alone. Blah, blah, blah. Well, that's going to piss him off, quite frankly. And I wouldn't blame him because he's already under enough stress. And then me unloading my stress on him is not going to help. It's just going to make him mad. And then we're going to get in a fight. And then not only do I have a sewage problem, but I also have a relationship problem. So limit your problems. Choose happiness. Choose humor. Choose peace. Choose whatever it is that you choose in order to stay happy. Because it is the one thing that you truly, truly can control. And then the very, very last piece of disaster recovery that is actually my favorite. And not everybody does this and you don't have to do it. But I love looking for the deeper meaning in everything. In everything that I do, in everything that happens to me, in everything that happens around me, I love looking for the deeper meaning in things. And here's what I mean by that. When I initially had my first disaster and I said, I think I need to look into that, this and I think I need to think about it, um, I kind of had a niggling idea. And then as everything has continued to happen, it has reinforced that idea to me. And there's a couple of things that I want to say on this. The idea that I have had brewing in my heart for quite some time is I need to clean house. I need to take care of my own house before I move on and do that with other people. My husband and I talk about the administrative tasks that we get behind in. Paying bills, filing things. I started this entire show talking about how at Christmas we take care of our house and we take care of all of those things that have gone wrong all year that we have put off fixing because life gets in the way. And even though there were a lot of things that we took care of, there's still a lot of things left to do. I quite literally have boxes of photos that need to be put in albums or sorted. I have craft projects that are sitting there undone. 
I have material and thread and sequins and costume pieces and ideas in boxes waiting for inspiration. I have files that need to be cleaned out. I have books that I'm never going to read again. I have clothes in my closet that have not been worn in over a year. I have socks and underwear in my drawers that I don't know why they are still in my drawers. Even a homeless person would probably not be grateful for some of these socks that I still have in my drawers because they have so many holes and they are so thin and they are so stained but they are still there because I simply haven't gotten around to it. There's a lot of memorabilia that I've got. There's a lot of things from when my kids were little that I've got. And it's been bugging me that things are getting so impacted, both physically as well as energetically, in my home, in my space. And I have been wanting to do something about it but more important things keep coming up. And by more important things, I mean a lot of different things, things that truly are more important, like spending time with my family, like doing things that I need to do at work, like having fun. But there's also a sense of I have put off and put off and put off to an extreme and at some point you have to pay the piper and this whole conglomeration of disasters for me has led me to the belief that you know what either I do it or it gets done for me so I might as well do it because at least then I do have control which goes back to that control thing. I have been wanting to clean out my basement. I have been needing to clean out my basement. It has been on my mind for a long, long time. Either I make the time and do it, or a flood happens, and then I have to do it because things are ruined. Those VHS tapes that I mentioned, I have meant to take them into a service and have them transferred to DVD for years. I've never gotten around to it. At one point, I even bought one of those DVD or VHS to DVD converters, and I did a few different tapes, but I never finished. Either I can do it, or the universe is going to take care of it, and they will do it for me in the form of destroying the tapes, <laughs> or making me take them in and finally get it done once and for all. The memorabilia t-shirts that I had in that drawer, I wanted to use to make quilts for my kids. My kids are in college. Either I can get those quilts done now, sort them, decide which ones to keep and which ones not to keep, or the universe is going to come through and remind me that it needs doing, or it will destroy them. Same thing with every little disaster that happened, whether it was the washing machine or the hot tub or the main sewer line backup. The main sewer line backup had a lot of poop <laughs> fill in my house. It's a backup of poop. It's a backup of waste. 
It's a backup of crap. That's what's happening in my life. There is a backup of crap. I have my stack of bills that haven't been filed for six months. I have stacks of pictures that haven't been sorted for years. It's a backup of crap. Either I do it, or the universe comes in and reminds me that I need to do it and how to do it. And to me, that is a huge gift. Now, even looking at the money side of things, because this is a significant amount of money, especially when you total all of these disasters together. I'm grateful there's room on my credit cards. I'm grateful I work and I have the ability to pay it off. I'm grateful for credit. I'm grateful for payment plans. There's a lot of things that I'm grateful for. Yes, I've learned a lot. I've said that. But even deeper, what am I learning from this? To a certain extent, I am learning to let the money flow. Not that I was big at hoarding money. Thankfully, we had some savings that can help us through this situation. But it's the flow. If I send money out, I fully trust that money is going to come back to me. And I am grateful for this lesson on flow. I am happy to release this money. Let me rephrase. I am getting happy (laughs) about releasing this money. It's taking some time. But I'm getting my mind wrapped around the fact that sometimes I need to empty my bank account in order to provide room to fill it up again. I need to max out a credit card in order to challenge me to monitor my own spending. If there is no room on my credit card and I can't spend more, then I can't spend more versus I shouldn't spend more, but there's room on my credit card. So back and forth, back and forth. Let's do it anyway. These are the big lessons. These are the big, why does this happen to me? These are the reasons that it's important to take the time to analyze what is happening in your life and what does it mean? It doesn't mean you're a bad person. We are not being punished. I am not being punished. Nobody is being punished by this. I am being challenged and I am being taught a lesson. And that is what disaster recovery is all about. It's about experiencing the disaster, recovering from it, sending out more love and light than was there in the first place, learning from it, analyzing it, Moving into that state of gratitude, realizing what you have and what you don't have, realizing what you have control over and what you don't have control over, choosing happiness above everything else, and then moving into that deeper meaning and learning what it means for you on a soul level, on a deep level. And then using this disaster for growth.
And then when that happens, you can actually be incredibly grateful that the disaster even happened in the first place. Had this not happened in my life, I would not be cleaning up my house the way I am right now. I would not be leaning on my husband and creating a happy relationship the way I am now. I would not be having conversations with my kids about finances and responsibilities like I am now. I would not have shared my story with people and possibly prevented many future tragedies had this not happened. I am learning to rely on my meditation practice. I am learning to rely on my angel cards. I am learning to rely on fitness and yoga and breath in ways that I was not doing before. This is the test. This is where the rubber meets the road and I'm actually able to use the skills that I have practiced so hard to master. Meditating in the good times is easy. Having gratitude in the good times is easy. Donating money to good causes in the good times is easy. But you know what? It's more challenging in the bad times. But the bad times are what matter. So whatever disaster has or is about to occur in your life, my challenge to you is to be grateful for that disaster. To realize what you have learned from that disaster and to share the light and the love and to increase the education on this planet as a result of your disaster. My challenge to you is to look at everything that you can control and look at everything that you can't control and to choose how you want to feel and to be that way. To choose to act with dignity and grace and peace and calmness and to do it. To choose how you respond instead of just responding. And then lastly, to move into that deeper meaning to analyze what this means for you and how you can grow and how you can change your life because of it. Thank you so much for being with me today. It's always a true honor for me to be able to share with you. Please reach out if you want to commiserate, if you have questions, if You just feel like chatting. I am always here. 303-994-4945. You can text or you can call. You can email laura, L-O-R-A, at pyramidfusion.com. You can also find me on Facebook. I've got a couple of different Facebook groups. Pyramid Fusion is one of my Facebook groups. Flaunt Fitness is one of my Facebook groups. And Flaunt Build Your Dreams, Live Your Sparkle is one of my Facebook groups. You can also find me personally on Facebook. I'm there too. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. I hope it's disaster free, but I also hope that when your next disaster rolls around, and it will, because that's part of life, 
that you now have the tools and the skills to get the most out of that disaster. So everything horrific that happens to you will actually end up as a blessing. Thank you again. Have a glorious week and don't forget to flaunt. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Build your dreams, live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Come release outdated labels, roles, and scripts. Reveal the calling of your soul and re-choreograph your own life, even when you're unsure of what you want. In five bold and glittering strokes, you too can build your dreams and live your sparkle. Find out more about Laura at PyramidFusion.com.